The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. Russian negotiators say they will dramatically scale back military activity around Kyiv after Ukraine offers to take a neutral stance in exchange for security guarantees in a fresh round of peace talks. World leaders react with skepticism, with Ukrainian President Zelensky saying his people are not naive enough to trust Russian promises, while US President Joe Biden says he'll believe it when he sees it. We'll see. I don't read anything into it until I see what their actions are. We'll see if they follow through on what they're suggesting. Oil prices spike a raising earlier losses, while U.S. markets all close higher with the latest round of talks seeming to offer some hope for easing tensions. The U.S. yield curve is a key recession warning, with some market watchers pointing to a brief inversion of the two and ten-year yields. But the Fed's Patrick Harker says he doubts the signal is an accurate indicator. It's correlated with recessions, but causation is not very clear. So. We need to make sure that we're looking at lots of different data. What I'm looking for is a safe landing. It may be bumpy along the way. It was bumpy going up, it's going to be bumpy coming down. And Italy's foreign minister tells me in a personal CNBC interview that it is imperative to keep the pressure on Putin, with the ball now firmly in Russia's court. Now it is up to Russia, and Putin in particular, to demonstrate that they want peace and will work to achieve peace. All of us in this moment are working to bring third parties to the table that will bring about, as a first step, a ceasefire. Decent risk on trade unlocked for markets yesterday. Investors very much eyeing those talks in Turkey between Russia and Ukraine. Significant hopes of a breakthrough here despite uh, no pen to paper, any agreement really being inked and no major leaders sitting around the table. We are yet to see that. But there are hopes that Putin and Zelensky could uh, at some point meet face to face. And I think that's what markets are responding to. You've already had green bouncing on the boards for a number of sessions and it really just continued yesterday. Four straight days gains for the major markets. The Dow, a bounce of near on 1%, 1.2 plus percent on the S&P 500. And you can again see the outsized contribution of those big technology names, 1.8 plus percent. So if you look at the how much we are away from those record highs, less than 4% off the all-time high in the S&P 500. So we very much closed the gap back towards record territory. If you take a look at some of the components moving as well, very interesting to note that there was a lot of big momentum trades back in the action in the ARK Innovation fund which has been battered as you know over the course of the last several weeks with the route that we've seen around uh, some of the, the trades related to interest rates this was an area that uh, was on a tear up six and a half percent yesterday outpacing the fang stocks uh, the collection of tech names up about 2.6 percent and these names also outpacing what you saw in the banking sector the spider edf uh, up uh, 1.6 odd percent so 
effectively what you've had market concentration around a lot of those big technology names the interest rate story inversion inflation very much a dominating factor this week and let's just take a look at those treasury yields some data services saw inversion between the two and the 10 year for the first time others are seeing it uh, very very close almost getting that to that technical level and you can see this morning we're about three basis points higher on the 10 year versus the two year so we're not in, in inversion territory this morning but it is something that the Mark will be watching for and whether we stay there as well. This is typically seen as a sign of an imminent recession uh, looming at some point. But we have got that inversion in other points of the curve. We've been at 2.44 on the five year, that is higher than the 10 year. And you can see it is very close to the 30 year, but we have had inversion between the five and the 30 years. So just worth bearing in mind that a lot of bond markets are being closely watched at this point, not just in the United States, but elsewhere, where we've seen a lot of global yields also dragged along the curve with that US Treasury. In particular, that 2.34 that you're seeing from the states has been moving the JGBs in Japan. We've had the Bank of Japan intervening in the market yet again, trying to take some of the heat out of this yield. 0.21 is where we're at. Don't forget, we've been marching up to the 0.25%. So short term, some success from the central bank in Japan. The bonds also increasing. We have moved fairly aggressively in a short period of time. We're now 0.64 of a percent on that bond. And when it comes to gilts, 1.65 is where we are sitting. I want to take you to the commodities picture. There's been a lot of focus around Russia, Ukraine and the talks and what that could mean for supply down the track. But the big demand story has been out of China this week, that two-day shutdown in Shanghai and what that means in terms of demand coming through from major production facilities, manufacturing that has been not running at the same capacity. We've got the price lifting again this morning, almost eight-tenths on some of these trades on WTI, 105 the handle, 111 on Brent. So just worth noting that risk on is also fueling a little bit of appetite for commodities. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. Uh, Russia has said it will scale back attacks on some Ukrainian cities, including the capital city, Kyiv, after the latest round of peace talks in Istanbul. Ukraine has offered to take a neutral stance politically, with NBC reporting the country will refrain from joining military alliances and is willing to resolve issues on the status of Crimea and the eastern Donbass region through negotiations. However, both sides say they have not made material strides towards a ceasefire. Russia's top negotiator, Vladimir Mendinsky, said talks still have a long way to go. The Kremlin agreed in principle to a meeting between Ukrainian President Zelensky and Russia's President Vladimir Putin after the current round of talks following numerous requests by Kiev. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov underscored the importance of such a summit. The meeting is needed as soon as we have clarity on the outcome of all the key issues. We drew attention to these problems for many years. The West did not listen to us. Now they've heard us. The Ukrainian leader, meanwhile, said his people are not naive and will only trust concrete outcomes. Of course, Ukraine supports the talks and will continue the negotiation process to the extent required. We are counting on the result. We must have real security for us, for our country, sovereignty and our people. Russian troops must leave occupied territories. Sovereignty and territorial integrity of Ukraine must be guaranteed. There cannot be and there won't be any compromises on sovereignty and territorial integrity. 
U.S. President Joe Biden echoed Zelensky's caution regarding Russian promises from the negotiations. We'll see. I don't read anything into it until I see what their actions are. We'll see if they follow through on what they're suggesting. There are negotiations that have begun today or not begun, continued today, one in Turkey and others. I had a meeting with the heads of state of uh, our four allies in NATO, France, Germany, uh, uh, the United States and, uh, and, uh, uh, and Great Britain. And uh, there seems to be a consensus that uh, let's just see what they have to offer. We'll find out what they do. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to keep strong the sanctions. We're going to continue to provide the Ukrainian military with their capacity to defend themselves. And we're going to continue to keep a close eye on what's going on. NBC's Richard Engel has the latest on the negotiations as well as the view from the ground in Ukraine. The new talks between Russia and Ukraine began with deep mistrust. No handshake, but after four hours, the most significant progress so far. Russia's deputy defense minister announcing Russian troops would drastically reduce activity in central Ukraine around Kyiv and the city of Chernihiv. Ukrainian officials saying no foreign troops, all have to leave Ukraine. But that Ukraine would negotiate on the future status of Russian-backed separatist areas in Donbass, leave open the issue of Russian-held Crimea, and critically accept neutrality, not pursuing NATO membership, in exchange for international security guarantees. But is it real progress or a trap? Russia only agreed to scale back in areas where it was already suffering heavy losses. And in the east, Russia continues to bomb civilians indiscriminately, in Mariupol and in Kharkiv, where today Andre was recovering in the hallway of a hospital. Only there because Russian bombs blew out the hospital's windows. Andre says he was escaping his home when suddenly... I heard the whistle and then I lost consciousness. Badly injured in his leg, he says he somehow managed to get his wife and daughter into their car. But as they were leaving, Russian forces hit the moving car. His wife, Tetiana, 24 years old and studying to be a hairdresser, told him, I'll be with you forever. They would be her final words. Andre was recovered by Ukrainian troops. His injured daughter was taken by relatives. He has no idea where. His wife's remains are still in the car. Too dangerous to reach her. I, I can't even imagine how that must feel. I also can't express what's happening inside of me. It feels like a dream, a nightmare. But I can wake up while my wife cannot. He only has one picture of her with him, but he can't bear to look at it. <laughs> And just on a programming note, we can hear plenty more about the EU's handling of the Russian invasion, uh, energy security concerns and the whole role that uh, China could play in brokering a diplomatic solution. When we hear from Italy's foreign minister, that's Luigi Di Maio, we'll bring you that uh, first on interview coming up at 7.30 CET, which uh, is about 20 minutes time, Jeff. Let's uh, refocus down then on the yield curve and what it's actually saying at the moment. Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker has told CNBC that the U.S. will likely avoid recession. His comments came just before some market watchers said the closely watched yield curve 
of two-year and 10-year treasuries briefly inverted, a move that usually raises recession alarm bells, although CNBC data sources do not confirm the inversion at this stage. But let's get another view on this. Antoine Bouvet joins us, senior rate strategist at ING. Antoine, uh, plenty of opinions out there. We obviously heard from Harker on CNBC. I know William Dudley has been telling uh, Bloomberg that he thinks recession is inevitable at this stage. Can you draw those conclusions from the yield curve? Well, that surely is an opinion. Uh, no, I, I won't say that uh, recession is inevitable, uh, fortunately. Uh, but clearly there's a risk and that risk is increasing uh, when you take into account the Fed committing almost to raise rate to a restrictive territory at a time where some quarters of the economy are showing signs of slowing down. Clearly, that is something that needs to be in the investor's mind. The data that we saw yesterday clearly still continues to suggest that there is robust employment demand in the United States and consumer confidence remains strong. And classically, you wouldn't expect to see an inversion this early in a Fed rate cycle. Having said all of that, it's your job to figure out for us what you want to own on the curve, if anything at all. What's your advice to our audience? Look, the curve inversion is a very sensible reaction to, uh, like I just said, the Fed moving very aggressively to make up for the time they lost. Um, the Fed's behind the curve. They're going to have to uh, bring or to shock the economy uh, into slowing inflation. And therefore, the safe place to be or the safest place to be is uh, longer uh, up the curve. So longer maturities indeed uh, is where uh, you would expect uh, less volatility compared to shorter maturities. Antoine, very good morning to you. The market seems to have forgotten that there is one huge manipulating player out there that has completely and utterly distorted the curve. So hence traditional measures at looking at 210s, 530s, 10s, 30s, whatever, they've been completely blown out of the water by this player, which has manipulated the entire curve. Uh, that player, of course, is the Federal Reserve. And actually, there are those analysts out there like Evercore who think if they hadn't seen this manipulation, then the yield on the 10-year would have a high three-handle at the moment. Don't we need to take this into consideration when looking at the traditional measures of recession? Absolutely. Uh, that definitely distorts the indicator and that probably... <clears throat> Uh, brought forward the, the day of, of curve inversion. That, that there's no doubt about this. Um, now, there is still a consensus among investors that uh, long-term growth prospects aren't better in the cycle than they were in the previous cycle. Uh, and therefore, when interest rates are above 2.5%, I'm starting to think that this is something that isn't very sustainable. But in terms of what happens next, and I'm less interested in interest rate hikes at the moment than I am in the unwinding of this enormous Fed balance sheet. If indeed they do speed on with the unwinding of this balance sheet, surely this inversion we're seeing at the longer end with this huge amount of tenure that has been bought, that is going to evaporate naturally because of the unwinding of the balance sheet. Not necessarily. At least it will take a long time. I think this is, your point is right, but the timing is very important. I think it's at least six months away, which is an eternity in the market's mind. Um, now bear in mind that even if they start at this meeting or in June, um, the end one of the balance sheet, it will be progressive. Uh, we're starting from a very elevated level. So before this starts making a difference to longer interest rates, uh, the much more pressing 
development in, in interest rate markets mind is the increase in interest rate, 50 basis point hikes at a time, uh, potentially reaching 3% uh, early next year. This is really going to be the main factor driving interest rate. And this is the reason why the curve is flattening, because we have a very immediate hiking cycle and perhaps further down the line, uh, balance sheet reduction, which no one really knows how it's going to affect the curve. And my own personal view is that if interest rates peak uh, sometime in the first half of the next year, and we're contemplating cuts uh, in the second half of 2023, then there won't be very much uh, balance sheet reduction at all. And on a couple of questions, uh, first up around the uh, European rate situation, how mispriced now are bond yields here in Europe? If you consider we went paused briefly on the two-year bond yesterday, and this is so far out of kilter with ECB policy at this stage, is there a risk here for investors? Uh, well, the, yes, there, there's always risk for the investors. Now, my, my own view on the whole um, European yield curve is that we have a pretty high confidence level that the ECB will hike rates to 0% within you know, about a year. Um, when you bear that in mind, most maturities beyond two years should be trading positive uh, because we have a very high probability of, of rates being positive within that time frame. Two years is a bit more of a, of a you know, question mark because half of the time scale on, on these two years is going to be negative rates. The other half is going to be positive yields. Uh, but ultimately, these rates were going to mechanically rise above zero and the whole yield curve is going to be above zero. Antoine, I want to ask you about what uh, the move-in rates will do for the refinancing market because what we've seen in recent years with ultra-low rates, a lot of corporates have gone out, they've raised capital where required to meet uh, some of their short, medium and longer-term commitments. Do you see any impact on that fundraising environment at this point? Um, not necessarily in the volumes, uh, but clearly markets dynamic are shifting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a specialist, uh, specialist in a corporate bond market, but what I can tell you in sovereign bond market is that liquidity is, is lower, uh, volatility is higher. Uh, these markets are harder to trade. This is probably one of the reasons why the adjustment high in yields have been so violent, it's because some uh, investors are probably stepping back or at least reducing the sizes in which they're trading, uh, which is a concern. Uh, clearly, the adjustment from, from here to there is not going to be easy. Uh, but ultimately, this is something the market will come to grip with. Um, there are legitimate concerns and questions about uh, can the economy handle much higher interest rates? Um, I, I think it can up to a point. But like I said, I think that very high interest rates aren't necessarily sustainable. John, can I ask you about how jumpy the sentiment has been over the past 12 months? I mean, we've had a market here where some participants have been concerned about inflation. Central banks have not been there called a transit. Now we've seen the central banks also move concerned about anchoring the inflation rate. And we're talking about much higher terminal rates and even the potential for a forced recession here. And the type of recession that we have to have to try and get inflation back under control. This is not something we've really spoken about for decades. Is it likely that the analysis is now wrong at this point as well, that we will have moving conditions on the ground, a data that may alter this idea of very high terminal rates from what we used to? Yes, um, the time frame is extremely tight, basically. That's, that's my point of view. Um, I think we're looking at a little more than a year of, in the case of the Fed, of a hiking cycle and then a pause and then probably some, some cuts within 18 months, uh, which is extremely tight. And, and you can reasonably ask yourself, you know, if they're going to hike rates so high to cut them immediately afterwards, as is implied by the curve, but as is also what I personally expect, um, you know, why would they hike uh, interest rates so high in the first place? Um, the, the 
risks uh, facing the economy, the degree of uh, uncertainty is tremendous. Uh, like you said, it's an unprecedented uh, situation, at least in recent history. Uh, and there is indeed a lot of doubts about how the economy and markets will cope. Uh, my own personal view is that, uh, you know, if, if we get interest rate pretty high to restrictive territory, uh, they won't stay there very long. Antoine, a real pleasure kicking off the show with you today. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Antoine Bouvet, Senior Rates Strategist at ING. Well, let's uh, stay on the economic vein and what's happening on the back of the various events. Coming up on the show, will the war in Ukraine weigh on global economic growth this year? And uh, well, yes, I think the answer is yes, isn't it? But by how much? Well, the Economist Intelligence Unit has given its prediction. Uh, stay tuned to find out more. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. The war in Ukraine will dent G7 growth in 2022, according to a new forecast from the Economist Intelligence Unit. The group estimates that global growth will stand at 3.4% in 2022. That is down from a pre-war forecast of 3.9%. The impact of Western sanctions on Russia, as well as the double whammy of a trade and energy shock, will also weigh on the outlook going forward. And just to point out, um, the uh, EIU believes that the Russian economy will fall by around about 10% uh, in 2022. As far as I can see, that's towards the low end, actually, of the range. I've seen anything from around about 8% to 18%. There, but uh, Juliana will speak to Matthew Sherwood anyway. He's a global economist at the EIU uh, on those forecasts. That's coming up, Jeff, at five minutes past ten CET. Let's have a look at the uh, Shanghai COVID lockdown. The city has expanded the lockdown measures earlier than expected due to rising infection numbers. Some western parts of the city have now introduced restrictions, including the suspension of buses and notifying residents they must stay at home. On Monday, Shanghai locked down the eastern part of the city only. Authorities had said the two-stage approach would allow for staggered testing. Former advisor to the People's Bank of China, Li Daokui, says heightened COVID measures in Shanghai are necessary. What is going on in Shanghai actually, in my view, is actually a precautionary or insurance policy or insurance measure. Why is this? Because everybody knows that the COVID is now much less uh, poisonous than before. However, no one knows whether the virus will become more, more poisonous in the future. So as of now, the Chinese government have, has taken a very cautious and very, very uh, prudent policy. 
Lee Daokui. Well, Dyson Krupp has said it will close its powertrain production plant in Shanghai temporarily. The German engineering group said the facility will remain closed until April the 6th in compliance with lockdown rules. And several other automakers and suppliers are also facing disruption to production in the Chinese city. GM has persuaded workers to sleep on factory floors in order to keep production going, according to Reuters. Meanwhile, parts supplier Aptiv sent employees home on Tuesday. A court in Bermuda has ruled that Credit Suisse should pay over half a billion dollars worth of damages to the former Prime Minister of Georgia. It's alleged a Credit Suisse advisor fraudulently stole from the billionaire. Credit Suisse says it was also a victim and will appeal the verdict. Bill Ackman has announced he is moving on from the activist short-selling campaigns that made his name and will adopt what he calls a quieter approach going forward. The Pershing Square CEO branded the new approach Pershing uh, Square 3.0 and said the fund had, quote, permanently retired from this line of work. So I guess no huge fights on the channel anymore. You may remember the Herbalife uh, fights that used to play out over her, what the course of five years, uh, saw losses for the company. But now the portfolio seems to have shifted and some of it is in tech. It's in some of the new areas of the economy. What about uh, a large chunk of the portfolio, 30% in streaming, and they've got uh, stakeholding in Netflix, also in UMG, that's a fairly big holding. But uh, the company also in restaurants too, and it seems like they want to engage with boards rather than fight with them, Jeff. I'm sure you've got a terminology for this. Yeah, no, well, look, I mean, um, it's always interesting when these giants in the investment community come out and express their opinions as forcefully as Bill Ackman has done in the past. But I always like to look at at these kind of announcements in terms of what they mean for the bull market or the bear market or where we are in the investing cycle. And is this Bill Ackman saying now that you make less money going forward as an activist, particularly if you are venturing into private markets? Is he telling us here that the easy money's already been made and what he's now thinking about is settling back into a longer term investment strategy that perhaps is much more focused over several cycles than just the current cycle we're in, given how visibility seems to be very poor. And here we are. This morning, we've already had a very interesting conversation about whether the yield curve is signalling anything in terms of recession. And there are people on both sides of that story. So I do wonder, Steve, if this is Bill Ackman basically saying the gunslinging days are over for this bull market. Now we settle down to perhaps dividend-like returns going forward. Oh, gosh, how dull, Jeff. I certainly hope that's not what he's saying. Look, let me just park Ackman over there and look, talk about this more generically. Something happened over the last couple of years that we talked about a lot, which destroyed the case unambiguously for huge public disclosures around your short position. I'm a great favor of short selling. I think it adds liquidity to the market. I think it creates a natural pool of buyers at the bottom of the market. And where there are real hedge funds, I'm not talking about you ones who mimic the index. I'm talking about real hedge funds. I admire what you do on the long short plays and shorting stocks that you think are stunningly overvalued. I think we find value creation there. But the case for doing it publicly has been ripped up by the Robin Hood generation. Because when you went traditionally as a short player and you said, I've got this stake, I'm short of 3% or 5%, you get a stake in the game and you get people saying, oh my goodness, what does this person know? Maybe we need to look at their research, look into it a lot more. Now what you had though over the last couple of years is the Robin Hood generation say, all right, let's gang up on this guy. Let's get millions of our small investors shorting a big pun, going long aggressively and squeezing the 
something or others out of these big short players. And it has been very, very painful for some out there. I'm not saying Bill Ackman, I'm talking about in the generic as well. So the case for anonymity when you are shorting a stock, I think is actually there if you can keep your stake below a certain level. Of course, above a certain level, you need public disclosure. So I think what's happened is that the market has evolved. And because of the Robin Hood generation, actually things are very different now. When you used to make a very public protestation, either via an analyst piece or indeed by your stake itself about your short and your concern about the company, it used to get a lot of attention, but not more, a lot more in terms of retail investors. Now the retail investors have ganged up against you. The professionals have gone into the same space as well and pretended they're retail and actually ganged up on these short positions and created some enormous moves as well as we've seen on GameStop and others as well. That's what I think is happening in the round as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.